welcome to Setsi. Hello, Vishwant. Can you please talk about what it means to walk on the razor's edge of enlightenment? As you go higher in consciousness, it is more difficult to stay high. It is easy to fall. All we've got to do is contract. All we've got to do is resist. And we fall. And someone who's really high in consciousness is not reacting, is not resisting, is not defeating themselves with contraction. And so in the earlier stages of raising consciousness levels, the path is quite wide. You can make a lot of mistakes. You can fail a great deal. But if you're going higher and higher and higher, to stay that high, you don't contract. You don't resist. You, st you have a mind that is equanimous, a mind that stays even, even while under fire. Otherwise, well, you can't stay there. As soon as you contract, you fall. You come back to lower consciousness. Now, at a higher level again, particularly in the early days, if someone wakes up where awareness is aware of itself, there's the potential for awareness to pull away from itself and go back to the mind, go back to ego-based reality. And that potential is relatively high. And it occurs when someone goes into contraction, into resistance to life, and awareness goes back to the ego, to the mind, and supposedly, but not really, beingness is lost. Beingness can't be lost, it's always there, it's just that it no longer is aware of itself. And so the razor's edge at the highest level, in the early days of enlightenment, is to keep awareness on awareness, that mind stays peaceful. It doesn't contract, it doesn't resist. After a while, it seems that that becomes very stable. A little bit like two permanent magnets locking on, being very hard to pull apart, no matter what is going on. And so, for someone to wake up, they need a mind that will not go to war with the world will actually stay calm, will stay relaxed, will stay relatively peaceful. And this type of mind will support higher consciousness and enlightenment. This kind of mind doesn't support suffering because it's not contracting, it's not resisting. So as we go up in consciousness levels, removing all the obstacles that are in the way of higher consciousness and enlightenment, all the defense systems, anything that contracts us, basically, any belief systems that have a way of taking us into lower consciousness because we go into resistance because of them, are removed, a person can stay in higher consciousness. And they can stay awake. And so in Buddhism, it's about developing a mind that is equanimous mind that stays level and even no matter what is happening 
even while under fire, it stays level. It doesn't contract, it doesn't go into resistance, it supports truth, it supports honour. And this is relatively difficult because we grew up in a society where we contract, where we resist, where we turn ourselves into victims of this and that. And of course, that keeps people very much locked in lower consciousness and suffering. In higher consciousness, that's not a go. No resistance, no contraction. Acceptance of life as it is, is the way. And so when bad things happen, or negative things happen, there's an acceptance of it rather than a resistance against it. And sometimes this is called uh, the razor's edge. Because it's easy to fall off. It is such a narrow, narrow edge. It's easy to go back to contraction and to go back to uh, ego-based reality. So people do self-inquiry and they find themselves as truth and then they find themselves back as ego-based reality and it's because awareness has gone back to the mind, it's gone back to the ego. Usually because the mind has contracted over something, has gone into resistance over something. And so for the spiritual aspirant to develop a mind that will support enlightenment, there is a fair bit of work. So contraction doesn't occur. Resistance doesn't occur. And of course, this is up to you. No one can do it for you. Someone who's awake can show you which way to go. They can talk to you about acceptance. They can talk to you about different types of resistance, different defense systems that are in the way. But they can't do the work for you. You have to do the work. And just seeing it, which is insight, is not enough. It does need to get undone. The mind needs to get undone so it doesn't constantly react and go into resistance to life. Acceptance is the key. Are there any questions, any statements, any challenges to this teaching today? First question, is there a skill or pattern that I can develop as a foundation that makes the process of higher consciousness easier? Yeah, pattern of watching mind. If you, if you develop a pattern of witnessing the mind, you get to see what it's up to. If you don't have a pattern of witnessing the mind, you don't see what it's up to. So how can you stop it from anything? If you, if you can't see what the mind is doing, how can you actually surrender it? How can you move to acceptance? How can you allay it? It's essential that you be able to see what's happening. And this comes as a result of witnessing the mind, being a witness to the mind. Instead of being uh, judgmental, and instead of being analysing, instead of being caught in the story of the mind, you witness it. And it shows itself to you. Quite clearly, it shows itself to you. And so that's always the beginning. The beginning is always see. The following question has been written by Faisal. 
I always hear you talk about being in the presence of an awakened being, which is difficult here because it's a very conservative place. And if there are some, I think they would be unknown because being awake and sharing the truth would put you in trouble. What do you recommend for people like me who are looking for an awakened being? And is it enough to attend your Friday satsangs with you online? I understand what you're saying, Faisal. Fortunately, we have the internet nowadays. And so you can find awakened teachers online. And if they're awakened, there will be a presence coming through the transmission. With regards to what we do here in Perth, West Australia, we actually have a lot of uh, satsang. It's not just Friday night a lot of satsangs. I think we have eight or nine a week. Uh, they're called Mystery School. And if you introduce yourself to me on a Friday night, I'll talk to you about the possibility and the potential of doing other satsangs. We have a man called Tosh who's speaking to me at the moment who you can contact and talk about what else you can come to. And so even though you might be able to not attend in person here because of your circumstances, you may be able to attend online. The seeker has to seek out the teacher. When I was a seeker in Australia in the 80s, I had to leave Australia. There was no one here that I could sit with. I had to go and live in India, and America, and England, and Italy, because there was no one here. And so, I think it's always been difficult, unless you're fortunate enough to be in the same neighbourhood as someone who's awake, who's available. But if you really are a seeker, you'll find a way. Next question is also from Faisal. After I come to your teaching along with other masters on YouTube, I started having some experiences. Many times I saw myself as an entity being watched from just awareness, but that only lasted for seconds. After that happened, I started figuring out that I'm not what I used to think I am. That made me more interested in higher consciousness. What are your comments on this and is this what you call Satori? It might be Satori, it might simply be you're being the witness of your own mind. I recall back in the 80s when I first started meditating, I found no mind uh, and recognised that, well I was here but the mind wasn't here. I was simply witnessing but the mind wasn't here. and that alerted me to the fact that, well, I'm not the mind, there's something else here. And that is when I became very interested in what was going on. Because up until that point, I thought I was the mind and the body. And then in no mind, in meditation in no mind, I saw, hey, I'm here, but there's nobody here. There's no thoughts here, but I'm here. And this was seen afterwards. It wasn't seen at the time, it was seen afterwards. I was there, I was present, but there was nobody there, and there was nobody thinking. 
And so if the mind is not thinking, the mind is not who I am. What am I really? And then the quest to discover my true nature began. The quest to discover that that is aware. Next question has been written by Anand Suryadev. Why am I unable to get rid of a few old habits? <laughs> if someone put a gun to your head, you'd probably be able to do it. <laughs> Just not enough motivation. And people like to say, well, I have no choice. I have to do this. I have to do that. Oh, yeah. If someone put a gun to your head, I wonder what you'd do. It's all a matter of willpower or discipline, isn't it, really? If you're unwilling, well, nothing's going to change. If you're willing, everything's possible. It's up to you. Bad habits. Yeah. If we don't want to give up our bad habits, we won't. If we really want to give them up, we will. It's up to you. Don't ever become a victim of yourself. next question has been written by Justin. How do you have conversations with others and remain awake, especially at work? How do I not let the ego take over when in these situations? I am a high school teacher. Okay. So I love what Ramana Maharshi said about self-inquiry. When do you stop self-inquiring? was the question asked to him. And his statement was pretty simple, when there's no one left to inquire. And in awakening, you find yourself as beingness and eventually the eye is gone. There is no one left to inquire. And so there's no point of it coming back either. It's gone. You're still practicing, keep practicing. Keep self-inquiring. Keep turning awareness back to itself until there's no one there to come back. Until the false one is so seen through that it doesn't have any potential anymore. Keep self-inquiring. This methodology of Ramana Maharshi's works. But it has to be done. It can't be thought about. You can't think it's a good idea and think that somehow that's going to change things. It has to be practiced. Anything to do with higher consciousness has to be practiced. Collecting knowledge about the subject is probably a waste of time. Practice is what works. The next question. From your experience, do you need to stay at the so-called razor's edge of enlightenment for a particular length of time to help the enlightenment process or to make it more so? The answer to this question is difficult for me because I don't really know. I know for myself, I sat still for nearly six months, 18 hours a day after awakening. 
because I felt that that was needed at the time. But I really don't know if that was true. I just did it. I don't know if it was true that I needed to do it or not. And so I can't really honestly answer your question. My mind was in service to truth. So in being in service to truth, it just went quiet. For six months, it just allowed itself to be quiet, to rest in beingness. And then a teacher came along, one of my teachers came along and brought me out and said, you need to be in the world more. And so, I, so there was a coming out. But by that time, there wasn't any I left. There was just such a profound nothingness here. So I don't know the answer to the question. I do know this, that the mind itself, particularly the identified part of the mind, needs to become a servant of truth. And the deal that I found worked best was everything for truth and nothing for you. And so you give your life to truth. False one drops. So, from the point of awakening, does surrender continue to deepen? I wouldn't say that. Surrender is an undoing. And so when we talk about it deepening, how do you deepen an undoing? I don't think that's a possibility. Surrender itself is an undoing. And we learn surrender from the mind's perspective by practicing let go and acceptance because that's how you learn to surrender. Let go and acceptance. And the more you practice let go and the more you practice acceptance, the better you are at it. It's up to you. What do you practice? following question is from a viewer. How do you learn to find the frequency of an awake teacher or person? Go and sit with them. <laughs> Go and sit with them and sit as close as you possibly can. And if you can't feel them, stay with them because they definitely are putting out a foot of field. If you can't feel it, it's because you're too close, not because they're not putting it out. But if you stay in the presence of someone who's awake long enough, the defense systems that stop you from feeling will break down and you'll start feeling them. Go and sit with someone who's awake as close as you possibly can. It'll be just a matter of time before you feel them if you can't in the beginning. The energy from someone who's awake is palpable. Find someone to sit with who's awake, sit as close as you can, for as long as you can and see what happens. How did you overcome the fear of the unknown of enlightenment to wake up? Same as I overcome every other fear, I allowed myself to die. See, the, 
the ultimate fears are the fear of death and the fear of insanity, the fear of losing control. If you can find a way to be okay with them, fear has no power over you anymore. So what you're doing is surrendering to the outcome that you're frightened of. Completely surrendering to the outcome. Just making it absolutely 100% okay. And then in that acceptance of death, in that acceptance of insanity, in that acceptance of losing control, you're free. You're free of fear. It has no power over you anymore because you're not resisting it. Fear gains its power through resistance. Try it and see. See what happens. See what happens when you make the worst okay. Is there any trace of the ego left after enlightenment? Yes. There is a trace. Otherwise it would be very difficult to communicate and to cooperate in the material world. So when someone calls your name, you turn. That's a, that's a form of identification. Ego is just the identified mind. But say the ego is the size of an elephant, and a lot of people it is. What's left in someone who's awake is the elephant's tail, and that is all. But if the elephant's tail is fed, the ego can come back. So it's best not to feed the elephant's tail. But there is a trace, and that trace is only there when they're out in the material world. Once they go inside, once the eyes are shut, it's over. There is no ego whatsoever. Just, just, just nothingness. Fast, fast nothingness. But to navigate the material world, a little bit of ego, that's the tail of the elephant is required. Has any part of your mind changed after your awakening? Has <laughs> oh, any part changed? A lot of the personality is probably still the same. The acumen of the mind is not as good. The business acumen is not as good. As the mind's uh, not being used, it's atrophied in some ways. It's the old story, if you don't use it, you lose it. The energy field of uh, awakening, the Buddha field that's produced, blows the mind apart. The mind just rests in beingness, rests in the beauty, profoundly content for no reason. So it has changed a bit. Personality-wise, not that much. You know, whatever you wake up with is likely to stay. There's not much impetus, if any, to change anything after awakening. Everything is accepted as it is. No matter how much people complain. <laughs> Mm 
opening question has been written by Enrique. Hi there, Vishrant. Would you please talk about the acceptance of our feelings, the process throughout, and how to recognize it's happened? Lots of love from Paul. Okay. So, feelings are just another part of the mind. What's seeing those feelings? What's witnessing those feelings is of interest. Feelings like the thoughts come and they go. What's witnessing them? This is of more interest. There's nothing wrong with feelings as there's nothing wrong with thoughts. But what's witnessing them? From the mind's perspective, feelings appear and you can accept them. In the acceptance, everything's okay. But they go, they don't stay. Like everything else, they come and they go. What's aware of them? What's this that is purely aware of those feelings and the thoughts that may accompany them? That's of interest. If all we do is get interested in feelings and analysing feelings, understanding feelings, we're still caught in the mind. We're still caught in a dream. What's aware of those feelings? What's the witness of those feelings? This is of more interest to the seeker. One of the greatest traps that a seeker can get involved in is analysing the mind thinking that somehow they're raising their consciousness levels. The moment you move to analysing, judging, correcting, you're actually once again dreaming. Dreaming is lower consciousness. Remain the witness. Just watch the mind. See what it does. Don't get caught in collecting knowledge. It won't raise your consciousness levels at all. Simply witness the mind. If anything, the mind needs to surrender. Just let it, let it go, let it go, let it go. That's all. Everything is okay as it is. I know people who have had awakening experiences who now think that they are awake. How does a seeker who gets stuck like this progress? <laughs> I understand. I had awakening experiences in 1987 and I thought for a little while that I was awake because I was holding the memory of the Satori's. But it became really clear to me that the ego was just holding the memory. If you've got a friend or you've had awakenings and you think you're awake, Go and find someone who's awake to sit with. They'll sort you out very quickly. <laughs> you see, if you're awake, you're going to have a presence. And you're also not going to be there. So you go and sit in front of someone who's awake and see. See what happens. You see, beingness can't be touched by anything. But an ego pretending to be beingness can be torn apart. <laughs> Why is it that sometimes the more someone's consciousness increases, the less progress they seem to have made? Uh, as you raise your consciousness levels, you get to see the dark side. 
you get to see all the things that are failing in you, all the things that are dusty in you, all the darkness in you. And so it's not that you're going backwards, you're just seeing more. In fact, you're going forwards. You're becoming more and more and more conscious. But in that consciousness raising, you get to see that you're not such a nice person after all. You get to see the good, the bad, and the ugly of the psyche. And the pain body starts to appear because you're opening up. And so whatever you've repressed comes to the surface. And it feels like you might be going backwards, but you're not going backwards. You're emptying out the house. You're clearing the house of a whole pile of luggage that needs to go. And so you're not going backwards. You're just opening up and clearing out. This is good. This is what needs to happen. Did it ever feel like you were going insane when you started to wake up? In witnessing the mind, I recognized that insanity was already there. Because, have a look at this. If you believe you're a somebody who's not real, and the I is not real, that's delusional in itself. The definition of insanity itself. To think you're a somebody that you're not. The somebody that you are, the ego, is based on past memory projected to the future and a whole pile of belief systems. Take away your imagination and that somebody, that I, doesn't exist. It's delusional. And so what is insanity? The only sanity I found was knowing self as truth, nothing else. The next question has been written by Manisha. How can I put my attention on enlightenment when I'm a busy mom with so much to do? How could I put attention on pure beingness when I was a busy father taking care of a business and a wife and three children? It's possible, but only if you put truth first. What do you put first? Whatever you put first is where all your awareness is going to go and it's where you're going to live. We can be in the marketplace and put our awareness on truth. As long as we make truth first, it'll stay there. The moment we make something else first, it's the potential of it leaving. And so it comes down to what does the mind actually serve? Does it serve truth or does it serve itself? In service of truth, enlightenment stays. In service of self, as I, well, you live as ego-based reality. It's simple. What do you put first? What do you serve? Have a look and see. When you say to put truth first, what does that mean or look like? Well, as someone who's just finding truth itself, it means keeping awareness on awareness. 
not getting caught in distraction, not getting caught in resistance, keeping awareness on awareness. That's what it takes. Whatever we put our awareness on is where we're going to live. And if awareness is on itself, well, basically you're living as truth. If awareness is on the mind and the problems of the mind, well, you live as the problems of the mind. Awareness can be in more than one place at a time. It can be on true self, it can be on itself, and it can also be on the mind, and it can also be on the body and the world. It doesn't necessarily have to be on one place, but for someone who's awake, awareness is always, always on itself, no matter what is happening. The mind becomes a servant of truth, becomes a servant of love. And in that, it puts truth and love first. It puts itself aside. It sacrifices itself for truth. And this is how awakening stays, stays. Who does the mind serve? What does the mind serve? It's up to you. What do you serve? question has been written by Amy. Does enlightenment cause a mutation in the brain cell themselves? Hindu <laughs> Krishnamurti and Osho have spoken about the effects of enlightenment. Mm. Is this an indication to know whether enlightenment has occurred? If enlightenment has occur occurred, it can't possibly be missed. If you think that you can wake up and not know it, you're wrong. It is so vastly different than ego-based reality, there is no comparison whatsoever. In ego-based reality, there is a somebody that has reference points. In being-based reality, there is not a somebody. There is an absence. You can't make the mistake of thinking they're anything alike because they're not. In ego-based reality, you're basically a single point looking outwards. There's an us and a them kind of feeling. In being-based reality, there is just us as everything. There is a sense of being everything. There is a sense of being connected to everything. There is no sense of separation. We are one. The difference between ego-based reality and being-based reality is quantum. There is no connection. The next question is as follows. As you began waking up, were there particular obstacles or instances that would bring you back into non-consciousness or ego-based reality? Yes. Awakening started in 1998 and about a year later, in 1999, awakening was complete in that there was no going back to ego-based reality. 
But during that period, there would have been a thousand or two thousand Satori's flip-flopping from ego-based reality to being-based reality and back again. And what was bringing me back to ego-based reality was basically the non-service of truth. I hadn't, my mind hadn't completely given itself to truth yet. It still wanted something for itself. It took a year to actually fully understand that there's nothing in it for you as an I, that you have to surrender completely. You give your life to truth in unconditional surrender. And this works. Nothing else works. You can't have anything for you. Enlightenment does not include you as an I, because you are a dream. You're not even real. Awareness aware of itself. The mind supports that. You might lose everything. You don't know. You have no idea what's going to happen. But you have to be okay with that. And the mind tries to hold on to things. It wants enlightenment for itself. That's not possible. The mind doesn't get enlightened. Awareness becomes aware of itself. That that's aware of the mind becomes aware of itself. The mind never becomes enlightened. The eye never becomes enlightened. It can't. It's not even real. It's actually a figment of your own imagination. So thousands of times there was a flip-flopping back and forward, knowing self as truth, knowing self as ego, back and forth, until the mind decided to surrender completely unconditionally and give itself to truth. Another way of putting that is the mind gives itself to God. Completely. following question has been written by a viewer. Vishwant, when you encounter an individual, do you know how close they are to enlightenment? If so, how? I don't know how close they are to enlightenment, but I do know how advanced they are consciously because I can feel them. When someone's very conscious, they're empty. There's not much there. There's just a whiff of the ego. They've done the work. They've removed a lot of the obstacles. When someone's still in lower consciousness, there's a solidness about them. It can be felt quite clearly. You come near someone who's awake and you won't feel anything. You won't feel anybody there. You'll feel an absence. You'll feel a presence and an absence. But with people who are ego-based, you just feel this solidness. And the, the more in lower consciousness a person is, the more solidness is there. And so as people become more conscious, they become, they become less than. There's less there. If there's more silence about them, more stillness about them, more openness about them. There's less of a, a, a banging into something. There's more of a falling into because there's nothing there. 
And so you come and sit next to someone who's awake and you can fall into them because there's just nothing there. It's gone. Awareness is aware of itself. The eye is just gone. There's no resistance to life anymore, so there's nothing to bang into. It's very beautiful. I remember when I first noticed it, with teachers I could get physically close to, I'd start to fall into them. It was, very <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was a funny feeling, falling into someone rather than banging into them. Next question has been written by Amy. What were the effects of enlightenment in terms of your body? Have you become more fragile and loose with existence? The answer to that would be yes, but there was no there was no real movement became more sensitive to everything, but there was no movement away, not really. Everything was okay. It was more painful to be in the world from the perspective of the physical body because all the defences had dropped and everything was being felt. But it didn't matter because it was totally accepted. It's like, it was like my skin was peeled off and I could feel everything and everybody. And humans carry so much pain and it pours in because energy tends to flow from full to empty. And so I found it very painful to be in the presence of humans, but it didn't matter. I loved them. Humans carry so much suffering. They collect pain, they repress it. And when they come into the presence of someone who's awake, in the opening, the pain starts to pour out, the pain body starts to pour out. This is just how it is. Everything's okay, there's no resistance. This question has been written by Amy. I think sometimes I get confused with different types of enlightenment. Is this Kundalini or is the paradox of reality taking a hold of me? There's only one type of enlightenment. There are many different methodologies towards enlightenment, but there's only one type of enlightenment. You know yourself as truth or you do not. Enlightenment is knowing self as truth. In other words, truth aware of itself or consciousness aware of itself or awareness aware of itself. There aren't two types of enlightenment, but there are many methodologies towards enlightenment. They all actually demand surrender because surrender of the mind is the key. 
And there's only one type of enlightenment. And when you meet someone who's enlightened, the presence will be the same as everybody else's presence who's enlightened. It's like you go to the ocean and you find that it's salty. But you go to any ocean and you find it is salty. The same with enlightenment. The Buddha field is always the same. There aren't two different types of Buddha fields. Someone who's awake, has awareness on awareness or consciousness aware of itself, has a Buddha field around them. That's the only way that you can tell they're awake, actually. But it's always the same. Though there are many methodologies towards that. All demanding surrender at some point. The next question has been written by James. Osho said that when he became enlightened, it was only a very thin thread to his body and that he hovered around his body. Can one prepare the body for enlightenment? Yes. What happened for me is I spent the previous, I'd say 10 years, 12 years, putting awareness into my body. So there was a groundedness in the body of awareness. If the groundedness is not in the body and enlightenment occurs, there is quite a potential for the person to die. Awareness leaves the body completely. And so I didn't know why, but I intuitively had many, many practices of putting awareness into the body, into my hands, into my feet, into my legs. And so even to this day, after 21 years or 22 years of enlightenment, if you were to shake my hand, you'd feel the energy is in my hand. Awareness is in the body, it is not out of the body. I think it's important for people who want to wake up to have awareness in the body I think if there isn't any awareness in the body, the body can get quite sick. It's not taken care of properly. And, and really the body is simply a spacesuit with an onboard computer that is not you. You are that that's purely aware of that. But when that, that becomes aware of itself and moves out of the body, well, the potential is for the body to die. So I think it's important to have grounding of awareness in the body as well as in beingness. The next question has been written by a viewer. The chemicals in the brain come and go, creating feelings and motivation. Does discipline to awaken really fall within the ability of the mind and personality, which is not even real? Sure, it's a pattern, like any other pattern. You're either uh, disciplined or you're not disciplined, depending on how you've trained the mind. If your mind's been trained to be disciplined, it will be disciplined. If it is not trained to be disciplined, it will not. It's up to you. Have you trained your mind to be disciplined or have you not? A meditator trains their mind to be disciplined, to stay with what is real. In most cases, it's just the breath, but it is real. 
and the discipline or the program pattern is to stay with the stay with the breath, stay with what is real, and not deviate. And that takes practice. I mean, we all went to school, so we all have been disciplined or trained to be still, sit in class, not walk around, not interfere. So we've all been trained and disciplined in some de to some degree. It's up to you. It's just a pattern. What patterns have you produced? Or what patterns have you not? A disciplined mind will support enlightenment. An undisciplined mind probably won't. Have a look. The following question has been written by Usha. When you say you will fall into the awakened one, I have the experience I am falling into my own presence. Please comment. Aha. Uh -huh. Which are you, the presence or the one falling? <laughs> What's aware is more relevant, really. What's aware? Always, what is witnessing this? This is relevant. Everything else is just an experience appearing in who you are. And people get lost in looking at the experience. What's aware? What's the witness of what's happening? This is more relevant. The next question is from a viewer. If the Buddha field is the same from enlightened masters, is it possible to love two teachers at the same time? It almost feels like having two lovers in that the experience of being in both of their presences is the same, pure love and truth. In the absence of the eye, which is the main obstacle, in the absence of the eye, everything and everyone is loved. So when you say, is it possible to love two masters, how about loving everybody and everything? And as the eye disappears more and more, that is absolutely possible. All prejudices disappear, all defense systems disappear, there is just openness. And in that openness, everything is loved. The only reason people have trouble only loving one thing is because they're closed, they're cut off. In the adventure towards enlightenment, all those closures, all those defences are removed. And so those who are awake love all. The next question has been written by James. Does that mean pain can be grounded? Oh, pain's very grounding, James. <laughs> yes, it is. Because you're putting your awareness in the body. And when we put awareness in the body long enough, it locks in. What ungrounds people is putting awareness on the mind and just on the mind. And then you become grounded in something that's not real. Because there's nothing real about the mind. It's imagined. And being grounded in the mind is dangerous. Being grounded in the body is quite healthy. Because it's real. Being grounded in beingness is better because it's ultimately the real. 
it is the ultimate reality. Pure awareness, that that we are, that that is everything, and is always here, being grounded, and that's always best. That's enlightenment. The next question has been written by Mark. It feels as if acceptance and surrender constantly becomes exhausting, yet usually ends in satori. Other times, effortless witnessing meditation seems to end in satori as well. Is this normal? My answer is really simple. Whatever works is worthy. I'm totally pragmatic. Whatever works for you is the right way to go for you. I love self-inquiry. I love meditation. I love witnessing the mind. I love the practice of openness. But whatever works for you, whatever opens you up, whatever shows you truth, that's worthy. There are many paths, whatever works is best. My understanding is that if you're really interested in enlightenment, find someone who's awake and have them guide you. Because the ego is such a tricky creature. It's over a million years old and it's amazing at finding ways to survive. And really, it is in its unconditional surrender that enlightenment is supported. When you find someone who's awake to sit with, they'll help you with that. It's best. It's always best. Find someone who's awake and sit with them. Thank you for satsang. Good to see you brave hearts here today.